BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, good day, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it is by you. Welcome to Line Drive Radio, your favorite baseball podcast. Broadcasting live from two studios, one in New York here on Long Island. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert. And bringing in my LDR teammate, all the way from the great city of Chicago, Mr. Ted Bamford. And Ted, I've always got to ask you, what's going down in Chi-Town? Well, the uh, weather sucks. Uh, it has been 40s and 50s and rain and wind for about a week since we last convened. Went down and did the uh, did a tournament with the kids' travel team, and we had the 8 a.m. draw Saturday and Sunday, and it was cold and windy and just exhausting, so... Uh, ready for the weekend, ready for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the yes. beautiful women out there that keep us sane and rational uh, and level-headed in theory. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's supposed to be decent on Sunday. And then, like today, Chicago, high of 52, rain all day. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week, mid to upper 80s. So for those of you, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe we could get a, a deal with an allergy med company to sponsor <laughs> just Chicago at large. Claritin, let us know. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, the heat waves coming here. I think in classic Chicago fashion, we're going to skip spring and go straight from fall to summer. Uh, hopefully with no snow knocking wood in between. Yeah, I'm but, with you. Uh, but, no, I, one quick uh, anecdote uh, for the kids. Um so we've got, as I said, we've got the 8 a.m. draw on Sunday. And so we get to the field at 7 to warm up, me being me. I'm there 10 minutes early to figure out which field we're on, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there's, I think it's a 13 or 14U team. Uh, this complex was great down by the University of Illinois. They've got like a half dozen full turf football fields by where you park. And then they've got, I think, eight or nine with varying depth of outfield fences, full turf, baseball diamonds, nice house in the middle with some mediocre nachos and a couple warm bathrooms. Um, so we're, we get out of the car, we're walking up and I put my arm around one of the other coaches and I say, you know, I think our coaches are doing an okay job, but we're not hall of famers. He just kind of chuckled. And I pointed, uh, the 13, 14 U team is over on this 
football field getting fungos hit to him by a massive left-handed hitting gentleman in a cage jacket and a pair of sweatpants, uh, Jim Tomey. Wow. Is out there hitting fungos to the kids. Uh, fast forward to Monday, and a gentleman who I consider to be a friend, former uh, business associate, Jeff Idelson, who used to be the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum in beautiful Cooperstown, New York, throws a picture out on social that he was at uh, an award ceremony of sorts in Peoria, which is not a short hike from where we were playing uh, on Sunday afternoon. And uh, if I remember right, uh, one of the men's leagues is naming their league or their championship trophy or something um, after Jim Tomey's father. And Jim was there suit and tie uh, for the ceremony with Jeff Idelson. And I, 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 I sent him a message and I was like, it's amazing. You know, I don't have to tell the former president of the Hall of Fame who's told me stories about how much of a class act Jim Tomey is, but just how committed he is to the game that at 6.45 a.m. he's hitting fungos in 40 degrees with 35-mile-an-hour winds and a cage jacket and a pair of sweatpants. (laughs) Five hours later, he's got a suit and tie on at a presentation with the former president of the Hall uh, in Peoria uh, for a men's league that's naming something after his family. So uh, pretty pretty heady stuff with with Jim Tomey, who, again, just an all-time great player, but uh, there, there have been lots of incredible human beings associated with the game, but I don't know that you'll ever find one that has been a more class act 100% of the time than Jim Tomey. So Way kind cool. of a fun little crossover there to see him hitting fungos and then see him you know, pictures of him on social from a ceremony a few hours later. That's super stuff, man. This yeah, Sunday, big, big Jim. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, I always enjoyed him as a, as a player, too, and, and watching him play and his approach to the game and, and everything else. So uh, that's pretty cool, man. Mr. Incredible. Mr. Incredible, indeed. Absolutely. Um, got close a couple of times, right? Yeah. As far as yeah. uh, winning a championship, but never got there. Yeah, had, uh, had one of the more memorable non-World Series-related home runs for the White Sox. Um, just... You know, play so good in Cleveland, great in Philly, marvelous with the White Sox. Just, I mean, he he looks like a lumberjack still to this day. I mean, watching him at Fungos, he could be an, a major league infield coach if he wanted to, and he's hanging out with his kid, you know, getting the next generation of players ready. Um, but, yeah, he still looks like he could go out there and give you 25, 30 home runs if he wanted to. And, and I just want to make sure, he, he wasn't on that White Sox team that won the championship, right? No, actually, uh, somewhat, uh, I think, at the time, controversially, the White Sox traded their starting center fielder, Aaron Rowand, who was a marvelous defensive center fielder, uh, think kind of a early 2000s Kevin Kiermeyer. Um, they traded him to Philly to get Jim Tomey. Uh, and Ozzie Guillen has, has said that uh, it complicated putting the lineup together because there's no chance in hell Jim Tomey's not batting in the middle of the lineup every day. And he also had Paul Canerco at first base at the time. So you're picking and choosing between a couple 30 to 50 homer bats at first base and DH every day, which obviously I think most managers would say, oh, shucks, that's a, that's a struggle. But, uh, but uh, some fans will tell you that the step back that they took defensively in the outfield uh, hurt them. 
I think when you when you win a World Series, it's hard to argue with it. And they're trying to get back. They got they're struggling a little bit right now with the health side of things. But he came in just after the World Series, uh, so he did not get a ring in Chicago. But he is still part of the front office in Chicago when he's not educating us on MLB Network, and he does an incredible job there too. I mean, the guy wears so many hats. He's a yeah. He's a he's a youth league travel assistant, quasi coach slash Hall of Famer slash broadcaster slash front office guy. He he is baseball, and uh, and I, I I'd love to spend twenty minutes picking his brain because he's probably forgotten more than either one of us will ever know. <laughs> uh, too much, yeah. Great guy, good stuff. Um, you know, I I, I believe it. It's got to be something to actually play the game as a major leaguer. And then to stay involved in the game, and you know, you, I love all the all the crew at MLB Network. It's just fantastic the production. I think they're, uh, I think by far they're the best uh, production in all the sports. That's NHL Network, even NFL Network, and everything else. I just that's my personal opinion. I just think MLB the the personalities and the talent that they have on the on the network are just fantastic. Um, and the only two is. Uh, my little guy's fighting Orioles uh, after losing two in a row. Bounced back yesterday uh, with an eleven-three thrashing of the uh, the local athletics here, the uh, the A's. And I think the uh, there were more fans at the uh, the little league game yesterday than they had in uh, Oakland uh, the last couple of days in uh, <laughs> for the real athletics. Um, but me, hey, uh, you know, if, if football in Texas can get eighty-five thousand, why can't you get twenty-five hundred at a little league game in New York? Uh, and that's all the that's all the A's are pulling right now. So viva Las Vegas! Oh man, what I was kind of getting at is, um, you know, I, I'm learning, you know, with my two two guys that have been coaching for uh, a few years, obviously, like you have, and and they do the traveling team, and man, they put a lot of time into it. You know, when you, you start hearing about all the traveling team time that they put in, uh, but even myself, just getting used to, um, you know, being a part of the game, teaching the kids, and understanding, you know, just as a as a as a coach, the rules, watching for you know infield pop ups, running send the guys and all that stuff. But what I'm trying to get at is, um, you know, where Tommy is a guy like that who's played the game and everything else, and still gets back and does that little thing yesterday and hitting you know ground balls to to little leaguers. Um, I'm just really enjoying being a part of this, and I'm, I felt it yesterday after five games in doing this. Like this is something I want to do for a long time, and I'm hoping my my little guy who. Who actually he's growing game per game. This is his first time at Little League, and uh, he had a he had a fantastic game in the field yesterday. Uh, not only the outfield, and then in the infield, and I was really proud of him. And I let him know. I said, "Look, see, you you don't always you know get the hits at the uh, at the plate and stuff, but you can also be a great player in the field." And he was. He was a big part of that and stuff. And um, and then my daughter played her first softball game yesterday, and her first at bat, she she. It's a line drive <laughs> between first and second was awesome. And nice. uh, she looked like a natural on first base. Uh, played great. They is crushed this, their is, team. Is she righty or lefty? Was this a little oppo taco or was it a uh, pull shot? Nah, she's uh she's a righty. And she, yeah, she, nice. yeah, she crushed it between. Jeter, Jeter-esque. Yeah, like very, it. yeah. So I was proud of her. So I got this great picture of, of both of them in their uniforms because me and Anthony went to uh, my daughter Polina's game. Uh, before we went to his game, and uh, they're both in baseball uniforms, you know. And to me, it was just I'm like, look at this. We're we're a baseball yeah. family, and it's uh, fantastic. But real quick, getting back to Tommy, like I can understand him coming back, and I'm sure the time that you put into it, uh, you know, TJ and James had coached with me too, and and all the guys that are part of Little League, uh, from the directors and everything else. 
Um, I think yeah, the best way to describe it is you, you kind of get this itch. You kind of get this fever for it. And um, I applaud all you guys and Tommy and all the major leaguers that come back and give back to the game. And I love being a part of that now, too. And that's what I just love about baseball. Yeah. No, it's uh, – I don't want to use the, the word addiction to make light of uh, that because I think there there are so many rightfully negative connotations with it. But I think that there's an element where – any sport, but really baseball for me, as many as, as much as any, uh, really grabs a hold of your soul. Uh, and there's so many disciplines that go into playing the game, different positional pieces, and then you get into the next level of the awareness, adjusting with pitches, adjusting how a guy's late or early on a fastball. Um, and we've talked about this in the past. I think the romance of baseball is lost in many regards at the major league level because the little things, the bunting, the stealing, um, because we've become so fixated on the true outcomes, the walk, strikeout, home run uh, at the major league level with the efficiencies taking over the game thanks to analytics that when you get to the bottom levels, you really get that romance of the game. Um, and it, it's really something that it's, for me, it, it's really a love affair with the game that started when I was, you know, five, six years old. And here we are, you know, 30 something odd years later that I'm, I'm, it's still coursing through my veins. So yeah, it's, um, it's fun. It can be incredibly frustrating. Uh, it can make you want to pull what's left of your hair out. Um, but at the same time, when you, when you, when you get a good line drive, like your daughter hit, when, when you get that, you know, my, my son put down one of the best, suicide squeeze bunts you'll ever see in your life uh to drive in a run uh on saturday in the tournament that we had when you get that perfectly executed play when you get a crisp double play a four six three um or a six four three or even you know the the old three six three uh when you get something executed perfectly it's hard to not have a smile for about 20 minutes so uh really really enjoy that yeah, and uh, I before I forget, uh, just on a sad note, but I want to maybe uh, for our listeners and for you, Tab, too, um, last weekend, a uh, little fourth grader here out in uh, the Point Lookout League, which is down by the water here. Uh, unfas- unfortunately, just horrible. Uh, he passed away uh, on the field here. Oh, gosh. Uh, fourth grader. So on Monday, they're asking all the um, – his, his name is uh, Lazar LaPena. A uh, little guy here in Little League, and um, he had just celebrated his birthday, and unfortunately, like I said, he passed away. But on Monday, uh, May 9th, in honor of Lazar, everybody's uh, asking all their Little Leaguers uh, to go to school and wear their uh, team jersey in recognition and remembrance of him. And uh, just an absolute beautiful little kid here uh, playing for his That's Giants awful. team. Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to recognize him and, and uh, thoughts with his family and, and friends and his teammates and everything with the uh, with that terrible loss. So Monday, yeah. have your kids go in and, and wear the jersey for him. All right? We will. We okay. will. Okay, pal. So uh let's uh let's flip things over here and get the show going and we'll we'll kick things off with a couple of headlines and see what people are screaming and yelling about on and off the field and uh tell you some good times going on uh, in New York here recently, not only with uh the Mets destroying the Phillies, who owe oh, all their Philly. fans an apology after last night. Oh, um, my gosh. But the Yankees uh, having a great run here. 
Blue Jays finally stopped the streak there. Just been some great baseball. But uh, last night at the Rangers game, uh, Rizzo and Judge and DJ LeMahieu were at the game with Ranger jerseys on, having a few pops after getting back from the trip, which is great. Um, so we got some good stuff and some bad stuff, and uh, let's head into it. Where do you want to? Where do you want to start, there, Mister Banford? Let's let you know what. Let's start at Madison Square Garden, uh, where your New York Rangers were uh, victorious in a very exciting playoff game. But one of the videos that grabbed social media by the uh, by the attention grabbers, whatever those might be for you and yours. Um, as you said, uh, Rizzo, uh, Judge, and DJ uh, crushing beers in Rangers jerseys, which I will be blunt with you, hard to watch as a Chicagoan, having remembered <laughs> the good times when he and some of his Cubs teammates would do likewise uh, in Blackhawks jerseys <laughs> here in Chicago. I mean, look, it, these are the things that you can do as Yankees when you're on top of the world, right? Yeah. You, you, you lose a game in Toronto – ho-hum you just you know rattled off what an 11 game win streak you're blowing people out you're 10 and 3 at yankee stadium uh you come home uh, you throw a couple rangers jerseys on and they get you on the jumbotron smashing beers um (laughs) again it's good to be in first place which the mets at 19 and 9 and the yankees at 18 and 7 are both in first place right now the mets have a five and a half game lead on miami in second uh, and the Yankees Did you are two say and a half Miami? up on Tampa. Did Miami is Miami? in second, <laughs> and you know we'll see what kind of what kind of response we get out of the Phillies because that was a soul crushing loss that they suffered last night. But here's the thing: beers aren't the only thing that Rizzo and Judge are crushing together right now. They are tied entering Friday with CJ Crone for the major league lead with nine nine long balls, uh, and it seems like everything's going right for the Yankees right now. We had. Questions about their pitching staff. It's been great. The offense, undeniable. Uh, they've got a plus 49 run differential starting uh, Friday's action, which is second in Major League Baseball to just the Dodgers, who are at plus 57. Uh, their pitching's been great. They've allowed only 70 runs thus far, which when you look at the American League East, which we thought would be the strongest division in baseball, which the top has been good, Boston Tied with Baltimore, I don't think we saw that coming. But the other four teams in the East have allowed at least – Tampa's allowed 104. Toronto's given up 110. Baltimore, 109. Boston, 108. They've allowed 70. Think about that. They're 34 runs better than the second-place team in the East in runs against. So run suppression is a premium in Major League Baseball. They've been fantastic at it. That's seven, 18 runs fewer than Minnesota's allowed, and that's the second-best runs against number in the AL entering Friday. Uh, and Minnesota's got some question marks at shortstop right now with Carlos Correa getting a finger looked at and Royce Lewis, their top prospect, getting recalled on Friday morning. But um, life is good for the Yankees. So, yeah, you know what? If you're, if you're uh, Tony Riz and, uh, and the judges' chambers and DJ LeMahieu, who, by the way, was a prospect drafted out of LSU by the Cubs who was unfortunately traded for someone who did not pan out. Uh, that's how he got his start in Colorado. Um, it's, a, it's a time for you to go out and be a man about town. Enjoy yourself. And who would have thunk it when we talked about if this was, this was going to be a make-or-break year for the Yankees all the way from the end of the bullpen to 
Aaron Boone to Cashman. Everybody was going to have eyeballs on him in, in New York. And here they are blowing people away. Aaron Judge looks like the guy that bet on himself, and he might win uh, turning down that big money offer from the pinstripes. But it, life is good. If you're in New York right now, you got two teams that are just steamrolling people. Yeah, no, I'm digging it. Hey, look, I, I, I you know, you know me in the beginning for the season. I, I like the lineup, um, you know, and changing up the locker room, the void, the void situation as well. I mean, Lacastro's come in here as well and played well. Torres has come in. Trevino's come in. Um, everybody's contributing, and they're they're winning with small ball in addition to the long ball. And uh, and outside of that, yeah, I mean, Booney's running the pen really well. Uh, the guys are giving him some good stuff. There's, um, you know, with Rizzo and Gallo and stuff like that, and especially Rizzo uh, hanging in there and, 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 and being the everyday first baseman. And, again, with the whole void situation getting out of there, there's you can see it on the bench. These guys are tight. Uh, they're playing for each other, and Booney is fighting for these guys too. He's not taking any crap from uh, any of the umps. Uh, I've always liked Booney. I'm glad they stuck with him. And and like I said, so far so good. It's a long, long run to October, but this is a pretty darn good lineup. They've beaten teams, uh, you know, except for out of the you know out of the gate here. But these guys are settling in. They're starting to beat the teams they're supposed to, and they did really well against uh, you know the Blue Jays this weekend too. And like I said, you win a series, you don't have to win everything. And you know, like I said, I think this is just a really good, solid lineup if they stay healthy. And like I said, I think they've got some good support on the bench too. And it's it's been well rounded team here um for the start of the season so it looks good and like i said you knock on wood like every, any team does uh you hope uh uh injuries don't play a factor here but you know it's going to happen one way or the other but i think the mental health the guys like coming to the ballpark and then you sum it up with what you started b- with before and seeing them in the stands last night having a pop um you know i talked about this a couple weeks about judge that if he didn't get his act together he might get lost in this lineup well he ain't lost he's being a no. big part of it and um, I'm, and I, I look back now, I, I think maybe it's great, you know, as a team and as a franchise, you talk about Cashman and everything, you know, the fact that he's not signed, he's going to play for himself. It's going to hopefully make him just, you know, go out there and try and be a, a, you know, a bigger star than he already is every night. And I think that just in the long run for this team is just going to help them out. So, so far, so good in the Bronx. Very good. But, he, but hey, hey you, you said something uh, about Aaron Boone. I think that that can be a, a nice transition to us to our second headline this morning. And that is, Absolutely. you said, Booney's not taking any guff from the umpires. Um, I think we need to spend a, a brief moment talking about guff stuff from umpires. Guff, uh, palm olive hands, <laughs> long gazes into players' so, eyes. <laughs> so lots of people have weighed in on this. Great conversations on MLB Network Radio uh, about it with some former pitchers. Uh, Dan Bellino. On Wednesday, spent his sweet time examining uh, Madison Bumgarner's hand uh, during the cursory check for sticky stuff. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, just go to Twitter because it's been everywhere. I've seen people taking dramatic, slow songs. I'm disappointed we didn't get Celine Dion on that uh, over the top of it. So he, he gets his hand. He doesn't look at the hand. He's just staring at Madison Bumgarner. And then just... Uh, most guys are like, touch the fingers. Okay, you're good. I mean, he's getting a full-blown freaking pedicure out of this thing, uh, manicure, whichever one it is. Um, obviously, I'm somebody that is uh, <laughs> caring about my cuticles. But uh, 
Like he's getting a full hand massage from the guy and he's just staring at him. And Madison Bumgarner is famous for his intensity between the lines, very much a Scherzer like guy that you don't want to mess with uh, when the lights turn on. And finally, Bumgarner sees that he's staring him down, taking his sweet time with the hand thing and shares a couple magic words with him and he gets run. Uh, well, so you heard Paul what he I, said to him, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the the magic words were involved. Um, but as far as him telling, hey, look, if you're going to do stuff like that, he says, go down to the to the minors where the kids are. Yeah. Uh, Little yeah. League or whatever. It was, it was pretty good what he said to him. Yeah. And uh, so my question for you, Paul, is uh, the, the umpires have a union. They negotiate as a union with Major League Baseball. Hey, we've talked about bad umpiring in the past. God bless Joe West for retiring because that takes one of them out of the mix. But Angel Hernandez is still there. Uh, and like my wife, while she's teaching during the day, nothing but missed calls. Um, <laughs> I mean, the umpiring has been bad this year. And this was a blatant example for all the world to see of an umpire initiating and sustaining uh, a an, un, an unfortunate situation with a player. And so my question is, you know, we haven't heard much from Major League Baseball on this. At least I haven't seen it since, you know, before we started – Wrapping on the phone here. So the question is, does Major League Baseball need to have a conversation with the umpires union about there being some form of accountability with umpires? And do we need to have some formal language for suspending an umpire? Because what Bellino did crossed every line imaginable. I, I can't imagine that he's going to get the plate for Madison Bumgarner anytime soon. And if he does, God help us all. That's must-see TV. Put that on the pay-per-view. But, Paul, are, are you in favor of Major League Baseball initiating some type of maybe suspension process for umpires that step out of line? Because, look, if, if a player did that to an umpire and they started it, you know they'd be getting either you know a, a pink slip in the locker or certainly you know a conversation with Joe Torrey's office about missing a few games. But the umpires are able to do it. They've got carte blanche. Do we need to have umpires held accountable formally for starting crap with players? I don't know. You know, it's a, it's a fascinating discussion, um, you know, because then the, uh, the, the, the thought, the interjection of uh, robot umps and all that other stuff is, it comes in here. Um, I, I was on another show the other night, and I was talking about this, and, and, and my comparison, I mean, the, the incidents with the hand and all that, the stare, I don't, I don't get that. I don't know what's going on there. That's just some kooky stuff where I think if anything, for, you just got to pull that guy aside and have a long conversation and go, what, what, what are you doing there? Because to me, it was, you know, that's a spectacle. As far as getting behind the plate, the strike zone, you know, I, it's a human game. It's always been a human game. I mean, for the amount of mistakes maybe that the umps make behind the plate, I mean, there's, there's tons of guys every day, day in and day out, that just swing at bad pitches too. I mean, I, I don't know where you, you come in with a fine line. To answer quickly, I don't think the league's going to do anything. I think, you know, me and you being hockey guys <laughs> – I mean, the NHL hasn't done anything. You know, they've added right. two referees to the game, and it's still the same thing. And then when the playoffs start, the whistles go in the back pocket. Anyway, I don't know why they're paying these guys extra money to have extra guys on the rink. They don't – and we're just used to it. And anybody who cries and bitches and moans about it, I'm not into it. Now, I will say this. Watching uh, Booney go – I can't remember the ump's name the other night. Uh, but when I saw him arguing about – what Booney was saying to him, you know, make the adjustment because Judge is a 6'7". 
Right. And where he was doing the strike zone as far as where, you know, he was he was calling strikes. You know, and then, like I said, then at the end of it, you know, Judge swings at a pitch that he never should have swung out at all. Um, I, I think it's just, I don't think there's any real quick answer to it. I think umps like players, if they, like, if they do something that as far as something is, you know, should be uh, disciplined as, as a out of ordinary or, a, uh, you know, like I said, if they're expecting players to be um, respectful to the umpires, the umpires equally have to do that to the pitchers. I think the game loves the fighting. They love the uh, the managers and the umps going back and forth. I think they the league loves the uh, and the fans love it. I think that it's part of the show, just like you know line brawls or you know, the chaos in hockey. Uh, the same thing in, in, in NHL. I think it's part of it, and I think why a lot of it lets go because they like it. It stirs up uh, headlines. It creates rivalries. Uh, which in tune in turn you know makes people tune into games, uh, show up at the ballpark and everything else. So uh, as far as the the strike zone, different guys back there making adjustments to players and stuff. Yeah, um, th- that's something that I don't know how they're going to work on that. I've never been behind the plate. I've never called strikes and balls. I don't know what that's like. Um, I have refereed uh, for adult hockey leagues <laughs> and kids. I know what that's like. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm with you on umps being disciplined if if they're out of character and they and they and they make the game and another player or somebody else look bad. So I'm with you on that. I don't know what the answer is for uh, the human aspect of calling balls and strikes and the strike zones. Different sized players that come up to the plate. These guys that lean over the plate. Guys who step back from the batter's box. Um, guys, you know, taking their time in between swings. Um, I just don't know how you fix that. And I'd be honest with you. With every game that goes in and goes out, every inning that's pitched, every uh, season that we've gone through, uh, maybe I'll throw this back to you here. M- maybe the bad parts are few and far between with the normality of games as a regular condition. Games in, games out every night are pretty much played to the nine uh, as decent, respectful games, and you're going to have a bad call here and there. The standouts... You know, if it's something that becomes a regular process and it ruins a lot of games or ruins a lot of issues, and again, I will look into it. It gets more focused on when we get to the playoffs and everything. Then, yeah, something like that has to be looked at. But, Tab, I don't know. We love, we're traditionalists. Uh, Baseball has always been a human uh, part of the game. I think that's just part of it. Some umps are going to miss calls. They're going to miss tags. They're going to miss, you know, they're, they're fixing, you know, home run calls and, you know, when they go to, you know, challenges now and everything else. So they've kind of, fine-tuned it as much as they can, but I really don't know how they fix the human element element of it. And number two, I got to be honest with you, I don't want robot um, umps. And I think if you're going to, you know, if you're going to beat the crap out of players who go on uh, hitless streaks, uh, pitchers that come in and get blown out all the time, uh, or players that make errors on a constant basis, or um, guys that are just problems on the bench, you know, you put all these things together, I don't know if we're maybe we're paying too much attention on this as far as focusing the umps out just because, hey, they're the bad guys. They're the officials. And a lot of people love to blame the officials for everything. And even in hockey the other night, the Rangers, you know, wanted to blame the officials for getting a goal called on them. Whether it's wrong or not, if they had just scored more goals or not let up 70 shots in the game, maybe they would have won that game. And or gotten the, it done in less than three overtimes. Exactly. And then, then the official call becomes a non-issue. And the last thing I'll say is, if you flip things around as a fan base, if it happens to the other team, you don't give a crap. 
You think that's a great call. And you're not going to, you're just going to fold your arms and go, ha ha, too bad that happened. It only seems to be an issue when it happens to your own team. And I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, I, I'll be very succinct and brief with my thoughts. I think umpires have had way too much power given to them, especially with the union uh, negotiating their contracts. I think that they have, in many regards, like Joe West, and maybe Joe West is Cowboy Joe, uh, is one of the leaders of this. Um, they have, more than any other sport in baseball, the umpires uh, seemingly have uh, been afforded the ability to become part of the proceedings. And for me, if you're a referee or an umpire, uh, it's you should have the same rules as you do as a journalist. Never make yourself part of the story. Mm-hmm. You're you're there you're there to to uh, manage the rules of the game, and uh, and I think look there will be human error. I I think that some type of informal improvement, if we can, with the strike zone is good, but human error is part of the game, and I think that. Pitchers and batters need to adjust to the strike zone that's being called. I think that that's part of the art of the game. Yep. I'm here for that. But what Bellino did crossed a line. Yeah, and I, that, you've I got, agree you, You've got a lot of umpires now that the personalities, they're holding grudges. They're starting crap on their own. They're trying to initiate something. And the only person who gets blamed for any of that is the player at this point. They're the only person that has a ramification or an accountability for anything that goes sideways with an umpire is the player. And it takes two to tango. And too many times, there's a camera on everything. The first punch is being thrown by the umpire. And the players get in the pink slip because they're the one that retaliated. Bumgarner didn't start this. He sure as hell, he could have gone a lot further than he did. He didn't. I give Mad Bum a lot of credit for his postgame comments. But I think that there needs to be some level of accountability. I don't think you'll ever be able to find umpires. But if you tell them, look, you're not going to work for a week because, you know what, that was garbage. Or you say, you know what, you're not working a postseason this year, guaranteed. Well, he might not work a postseason anyway. So, But some, there needs to be some level of accountability for the actions of the guys that are calling the balls and strikes, not because of ball and strike calls, but because they're initiating the drama. And what we, when you go to a baseball game, when you turn on your television or radio, you're there it's like the players' argument during the CBA. You're watching the players. You're not watching the GM. You're not watching the owner. And no one bought a ticket to see Joe West. Nobody at that game in Miami paid 20 bucks. you know, the 800 people that were there, um, didn't pay their hard-earned money to see Dan Bellino on third base. But the takeaway from that game was Dan Bellino and Madison Bumgarner. Can I ask you something and, right there? And Let Madison ask- Bumgarner's team – is now put in a tough situation because he gets ejected because an umpire decided to have a beef. So and what do you? We we can't do that. So let me ask you: If you're the commissioner, what do you do with that situation? Because first I'm going, well, what the hell's going on there? I've never seen that before. First of all, what do you what do you hand down? What do you do? Well, I mean, and what's the, again, what's the again, description? The, what's the description of the fine or the suspension for what Bellino did? I mean, I think here's the thing. Again, umpires have a union, so you have to negotiate any type of discipline with the union. I I would have liked to have seen Major League Baseball either that night or the next morning put out a statement that says an incident occurred between in the game between the Diamondbacks and Marlins. 
in which a player and an umpire were engaged in uh, an unfortunate situation. Major League Baseball does not support the actions of umpire Dan Bellino. Uh, we're reviewing the situation to see uh, what can be done. And I think at bare minimum, Dan Bellino needs to have a conversation with someone at Major League Baseball in the same way that a player that throws his equipment on the field would have a conversation with somebody in Joe Torre's office. There needs to be something publicly said and done, even if you can't do anything, because there's no formal discipline outlined in the contract between the union and Major League Baseball, which is a situation that I think we're in right now. I think that they needed to say something and make it clear that what Dan Bellino did was not acceptable, because that embarrassment and the Major League Baseball saying something sets the precedent for a conversation with the union about some level of discipline. And it puts every other umpire on notice to not start crap. But to just silently let it go is just empowering every other umpire and Dan Bellino in the future to start something and make themselves part of the narrative of the game. And the umpires are there to dictate how the rules are enforced of the game. They are not there to affect what happens. And again, my biggest problem with this, there are two. One, the show didn't need to happen. But more so, when you come to the X's and O's on the field, the Arizona Diamondbacks were placed at a strategic disadvantage because their starting pitcher was removed from a game for something that he didn't do. He didn't start. The umpire put them in a hard situation having to go to their bullpen earlier than they needed to or should have because he had a beef that he felt like dealing with on the field. And, you know, look, the Diamondbacks, if it's, maybe if this had happened to the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Mets, or the Brewers, a team in first place, maybe more people are wringing their hands because it's the Diamondbacks and the Marlins. Maybe not everybody's like getting bent out of shape, but True. the Diamondbacks are going to have to work around this because they had to use more pitching than they needed to on that day. And that is something that the team should not have to deal with the consequences of an umpire being a jag. And so there need, Major League Baseball needs to say something, and even if they can't formally do anything – at least let it be known that they saw what Bellino did and it's not acceptable. And even if it's just a statement that goes out on social media, it needs to be done because the umpires need to get reined in with this starting extracurricular crap with players. The end. Gotcha. Now, who knows? They might be doing that behind closed doors. They might come out with something. Yeah, but closed doors, closed doors is only so good. Yeah, I know. That was that's enough, that was enough of an embarrassment that it needs to be something that's publicly at least said. And you might, you might turn it's, it's basically the league's fault anyway because of the new rules they installed, you know, halfway through last season, too. Yeah, so. yeah. If he didn't have the chance to play with his hand and give him a nice, uh, you know, palm massage, you know, tell him <laughs> what his future is. Give me the lottery numbers, Dan Bellino. Um, well, there you go. Maybe Bellino's just trying to show to the world that he's got some extra talents and he wants to start a little massage business after. Uh, yeah, a little, a little side hustle, palm massages, you whatever go. you're into. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you're there to umpire, do your job. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. And let's start jumping in to the good and the bad this past week in MLB. And for the good, we're going all the way out to Los Angeles, California. And then hopping on a plane and going all the way up to Boston, Massachusetts, to talk about the unbelievable Mr. Shohei Atani. This guy, this guy's got something there. He's the goods. Shohei's just the goods. And, 
You know, I, I don't think we need to belabor how good, he, how special, how unique he is. He is a unicorn of all unicorns. But I think that there's a couple things that are worth just kind of throwing out there here. If you didn't see it, go watch it. Shohei Otani uh, pitched at Fenway Park on Thursday, and it was arguably his best pitching performance in Major League Baseball at Fenway. Seven innings, 11 strikeouts, six hits allowed, zero walks. Good, good line. The seven hit or the six hits and seven innings, you're like, eh, he wasn't perfect. No, he wasn't perfect, but he was pretty damn close. 81 of the 99 pitches he threw were a strike. And Jason Catania of MLB.com tweeted out um, since they started counting uh, pitches in 1988. So you're looking at what is that, 34 years? I was told there'd be no math. 34 years. Uh, pitchers that threw fewer than 100 total pitches, only three guys have been close to or matched what Shohei did on Thursday. In 2005, the big sexy Bartolo Colon threw 80 of 99 pitches on May 29, 2005, 80 of 99 for strikes. Three years ago, on the 5th of June, not Cinco de Mayo, 5th of June in 2018, Max Scherzer threw 81 of 99 for a strike. And uh, on Thursday, Shohei went 81 of 99 for a strike. Just an absolutely remarkable performance on the mound. We would be talking about the pitching performance alone uh, because he was so dominant. But then you've got the fact that he was batting in the lineup. He became the first pitcher to be in a lineup uh, in more than 45 years, period, at Fenway Park. Wow. Brett I believe it was Brett Burns of the White Sox. I think it was 1973, if I remember from the graphic, right, was the last pitcher to be in a lineup. And he was a donut that day. He was no for four. Uh, but Shoei was the first pitcher to be in, a, in the upper half, the top four of a lineup since Babe Ruth in 1919. It's a mighty long time. Uh, first pitcher to record a hit at Fenway. Here's a crazy one for you. Yeah. Since Roger Clemens in 1996. And since they instituted the DH, only two pitchers have recorded a hit at Fenway, Clemens and Otani. And you can argue, uh, you know, all of the extracurricular reasons for Clemens not being in the Hall of Fame, but he has one of the better pitching careers that we have ever seen. Um, so all little historical context there. But he went out and did a job. He had a couple hits, one of them uh, 109-mile-an-hour shot off the green monster that ironically cue the Alanis Morissette uh, <laughs> hit the green monster so hard. It knocked his own number out of the hand uh, delivered scoreboard tiles in left field, knocked his own number off 109 mile an hour exit velocity. And he had a 389 foot single as well. So you've got a guy who's hitting piss missiles out there with the bat We'd be excited about the the offensive performance because of how hard he hit the ball. And the historic context of the first since Babe Ruth, the first since Roger Clemens, two of the greatest that ever did anything in baseball, with the bat. And then you get all that pitching history on top of it. You know, Thursday was a day for the all-time books for Major League Baseball in in total, 100-and-whatever years. First to do anything like that ever with the bat and on the mound. Shohei is special. He's a unicorn. We don't. We have never seen any. I, I said this last year on the show. The only guy that I think 
that I would put in the same class as him as must-see TV every time he, he, he goes out there was Bo Jackson. And, and, he, and he was in two sports, so that's a different kind of unicorn here. Maybe it's got six mm-hmm. legs. Who knows? But, uh, <laughs> but what Shohei is doing on the baseball field is unprecedented. And what he did Thursday was uh, unprecedented by his standards, which are standards and rules that no one has ever really played for, much less since Babe Ruth. So if you miss Shohei's performance on Thursday in Boston, go watch some of it because it was unreal. You hear that, Stephen A. Smith? Remember that garbage last year? Um, I got to throw the Mad Dog Russo in on that too with oh. his hot trash. But oh. no, you're right. People that say he can't be the face of baseball, take that, turn it sideways, and put it somewhere, as The Rock used to say. Um, because this this gentleman is doing things that uh, that we've never seen. All right, so I got a couple questions for you here. Uh, Shohei uh, was born in 1994. The last time New York Rangers won a Stanley Cup, he's 27 years old. If this kid stays healthy and continues this kind of pattern here, what he's doing here the last couple of years and to the end of his career, and say he doesn't even he, he doesn't win a championship with the Angels, or maybe towards the end of his career he gets traded, the, the so. first currently in first place, Los yes. Angeles, Angels of Anaheim playing fantastic ball. My question to you is number one: Shohei gets into the hall. Number two: How does he go in, or does it matter as a pitcher? It does, is a, does it does it so matter? For, so if he goes in, it doesn't matter. Uh, he'll go in with a position with multiple positions on his plaque. Uh, and it will be the most unique plaque outside of Babe Ruth in the entire Hall of Fame. That's, and that's unbelievable. It, you, would, it's, it's you will have a pitching record and you will have a batting record represented. And that's, again, since Babe Ruth, something that we really haven't seen. Um, I mean, here's the really hard thing as a fan, and this is why I, I stress when he does something, watch it because it's so dang special. It's a, as I, The word unprecedented is just something that I keep coming back to because there's no way for us to know how long he's going to be able to be a dominant pitcher, and you never know how long somebody's going to stay good at the plate. And so what he did last year, what he started doing this year – I mean, look, now he's got a healthy Mike Trout, who was the best player in the game before Shohei showed up, and now who knows? Maybe they've got 1A and 1B out there. Um, you, There's no way to look into a crystal ball and know how long Shohei's going to be able to stay this good both ways. Or if they ever get to a point that they ask him to make a decision between the two. So that's why I would say right now, if you get a chance to see Shohei do something, do it. Because we've never seen anything like it in our lifetimes, or much less our grandparents' lifetimes. And we can only hope that he's inspiring other kids to, to maybe, you know, be that kind of versatile. Uh, hey, and inspiring front offices when they draft somebody that can do both. Hunter Green throwing liquid feces for the Reds, and we're going to talk about them in the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, other guys that come up, Brendan McKay, drafted outfield pitcher. Uh, I've actually got baseball cards of the guy. Uh, with him swinging a bat because they didn't commit to him doing one versus the other right away. Maybe now that we've got a Shohei rule that says uh, you don't have you don't have to take the GM out um, to uh, to when the pitching ends. Maybe he will change the way that front offices view players, and he isn't the last guy that is afforded the ability to hit and pitch. Tim Hudson could have done it but that was 30 years ago, 25 years ago. 
Um, so maybe he is the uh, a trend creator. And look, the way that we've compartmentalized baseball for generations, it's going to take a while for coaches at the college and high school level, much less at the professional level, to be open to more players being able to do both. But maybe we're seeing the first of what will become an incredibly exclusive group of young people coming into the game that can do both and are afforded the ability to do both. And I think that that would be incredible to see. And we would look back and say, yeah, but you know what? The first one that did it, Shohei. Like we look back at Bo and Deion Sanders tried to do it. Brian Jordan tried to do it. Kyler Murray got drafted by the A's and opted to play NFL football. You see some guys that get recruited to do both, and some schools are okay with them playing football and baseball. Bubba Chandler was signed on to be a football player at Clemson, but signed with the Pirates to play baseball instead. Um, you know, maybe we will see a generation at some point down the road where front offices are okay with guys doing more than one, uh, and we'll see coaches being able to comfortably give guys the flexibility to potentially do both. But doing it as well as Shohei's doing it right now, hard to imagine that. Yeah, hard to imagine. And would love nothing more than to see him in a playoff lineup. And to oh see my gosh, we've we've been begging for Trout to get some playoff run for years. <laughs> and getting, I mean, if MLB cares about TV ratings, I can't imagine anything better than a redux of what we just got at Fenway. You get the Angels playing the Yankees or even the Rays, the Blue Jays. Yeah. If you get Shohei pitching in October on the East Coast, oh. Yeah, it would be on. fantastic. Yep. Something to look forward to. He's a good kid. He's a great kid. He's, he's got a great personality, too. He's the whole package. Um, hey, he showed some emotion on the mound, too. A couple strikeouts. He got the full fist pump going. Yeah. I so. Mean, it's It's got to be something else for a kid like that to, when you, you know, granted now he's a young man. When you, when you, I don't know. I guess whether you use a Star Wars, it was May the Fourth there the other day, and uh, or a Marvel, you know. When you, when you start to realize your power, your talent, you know, and then you start mm-hmm. seeing, and then you're part of a team that's you know actually playing pretty well. It's got to be something else, uh, you know, to start getting those vibes and getting those feelings and stuff, and and then you know you you just kind of become a full rounded player, and and how much an impact not only is Shohei having on his team and his organization. But on Major League Baseball, and shame on anybody who didn't think this kid shouldn't be the, the face of MLB because he's a superstar and I love him. Yeah, and hey, you teased Marvel. Doctor Strange comes out this weekend. Uh, it certainly feels like Shohei has arrived out of the multiverse. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> hey, one more thing before we, uh, we move to Ohio and the problems in Cincinnati. It would be remiss of us if we didn't acknowledge the great Dusty Baker and his 2000s wins. Uh, yes, week as well too. Speaking of Hall of Fame, put him in everywhere he's ever been. He's won. He doesn't have a ring, but look, he he's credited with creating the high five. Uh, he's still got more swag than maybe anybody in Major League Baseball, player or manager. Uh, this dude has been great for every clubhouse he's ever been in. Um, you know, my buddy Jesus Ortiz at his uh, site, Our Esquina. E-S-Q-U-I-N-A, look it up. They do great work, uh, great conversation about him being down with La Gente. 
and the way that he's embraced Latino players throughout his career uh, and the way that he works so well with players from any walk of life. This dude is just next level special, next level cool. Uh, and I think someday soon, you know, maybe he'll retire and get in the hall and then come back 20 years later like LaRusso did. Um, but <laughs> I mean, th- this dude needs a plaque in Cooperstown, point blank. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Not even a question for me. He and, he and Bochy are the two guys that have managed recently. Bochy is out of the game right now. I think those two guys will have plaques at some point in the not-too-distant future. And the way, he's, the way he's working it in L.A., Dave Roberts might be on that list at some point too. But right now for me, the uh, with all due respect to Tony LaRussa, if I'm starting a pecking order of who the managers are that I'm listening to, Every word that comes out of their mouth in Major League Baseball, Dusty's one. Maybe Tito Francona would be two. Um, just I do. I just want to hear Tito tell more stories about coaching Michael Jordan in the minors. But um, <laughs> but no, Dust, Dusty's the OG, and uh, so good on him for getting to two thousand. But he was the first to tell you, and he'll be the last to tell you that that number means nothing in the greater scheme of things. He's about. 2001, 2002, and getting back to October and putting that jewelry on the hand so that he can put the capstone on what has been one of the greater managerial careers in history. Yeah, it just hurts me real bad that he's managing those Astros. Oh, but anyway, love Dusty, wish him the best. And just, um, like I said, you got to play the Yankees, though, man. Rooting against you, buddy. Sorry about that. But anyway, he's one of the legends of the game, and I uh, definitely wanted to acknowledge him. Uh, on today's show. All right, Tab. That was the good, the good stuff last week. I don't know. We touched on it with the umpires a little earlier, but we gotta, we gotta check in in the great city of Cincinnati. Oh, nah, and and the old great radio station WKRP. Uh, bring back those days. Um, but there's a little trouble with the red and the white. Man, what are you gonna start here, pal? Well, I mean, look, how, how bad are things in Cincinnati right now? You brought up WKRP. The only, uh, the only analogy I can think of from WKRP to what the Reds are doing right now is when they try to get the turkey to fly. Um, <laughs> I mean, how bad is it for the Reds? We talked about that debacle of a Ghostbusters commercial oh. with Randy Johnson and Ken Griffey Jr. and <laughs> Big Poppy and Alex Rodriguez. Who are they blasting in the place of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? The Reds mascot, um, <laughs> and, and and like their pitchers, of course they got it. just stayed right. Um, I mean, look, it, but it, maybe it, it is apropos. I mean, how how many how many analogies can we have for the Reds? For music fans out there, I would describe their season to date as a porta potty at Bonnaroo. Um, <laughs> look, uh, the milk's gone bad. Uh, so here we are, Cincinnati Reds enter Friday with a oh. three. And 22 record. Uh, think about this. They are 14 and a half games out of first place in the National League Central, the worst division in baseball, with all due respect to the Brew Crew. Um, they are 14 and a half games out after 25 games, which is just unreasonable. Uh, they've scored 79 runs in 25 games, which is barely three a clip. Their team ERA is north of six. So they're getting outscored two to one. Uh, so let's go through some of the, some of the crap show here. They're one and seven at home, two and fifteen on the road. Ugh. So even when they go home, they can't get it done. But on the road, it's a gong show. 
their run differential. Kansas City is the second worst in baseball, negative 39. I already brought up uh, you know, what the, the Yankees are doing at plus 49 and the Dodgers are plus 52. They're negative 87. 25 games in, they're negative 87 on the run differential. Their team batting average is 203. Only Arizona is worse. Their team on base percentage is 267, which is dead last. Their team OPS is 585, which is dead last. If an individual had a 267 on base and a 585 OPS, he wouldn't get out of single A. He'd he'd get fired. That's what they're doing as a squad. Uh, they they got absolutely hammered by Milwaukee on Thursday. They gave up. They've given up ten runs in four of their last six, and allowed thirty four runs in a three game sweep uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, the only teams with fewer wins in tw- through 25 games since we went to the American League National League format was the 1988 Orioles, who won two out of 25. The 03 Tigers, which was part of their demolish that led them into uh, you know getting guys like Justin Verlander in-house, uh, they were 3-22 and 22 as well. Uh, you know, if we, if we were at a bar tab and you told me all these numbers... I would tell you get the hell out of here and order you another drink. Yeah, no, I mean this is this is why they uh, demote people in soccer in Europe. Um, make them go play AAA at this point, and they might get it handed to them there too. Uh, Hunter Green, who we've lauded as being an exciting young pitcher, throws 103 miles an hour. A um, couple of nuggets that I saw from him on the twitters uh, and in the stat categories after he got lit up by Milwaukee for five long balls yesterday. He's allowed 10 home runs in 20.2 innings pitched this season. Uh, to put that in context, the Detroit Tigers have hit 10 home runs in 23 games. They got a nice lineup. They're in last, but you know El Mago will turn that around. Uh, his 100 mile plus mile an hour fastball has been teed up to a 783 slugging percentage. Oh, okay. So it's hard, but it's fast, and guys are going to catch up to it. Again, context. Opponents are have a 783 slugging percentage off of 100 plus mile an hour fastballs. They're slugging just over 300 as a team. Uh, Joey Votto's got to be thrilled. Um, and one more nugget of salt in the wound for the Fighting Red Stockings, who maybe you know, we we we've talked about on on when our hockey conversations about the Islanders starting with 13 road games this year because their barn wasn't ready and maybe just got off to a bad start. Maybe the fact that I think it was the third time in more than 100 years that opening day for all of Major League Baseball wasn't in Cincinnati, who are the oldest franchise in all of Major League Baseball. Maybe the fact that they didn't have their rite of passage with the parade and school off and everything else in Cincinnati. Maybe it's just bad juju for them. But here's there's salt, you know, grains of salt in the wound, and then there's like slicing your arm and finding a salt lake. Here's the worst case scenario for the Reds. Guess what happened with the new CBA, Paul? Please tell us, Mr. Bamford. There's a draft lottery starting next year. So even if they end up with the absolute worst humanly possible record in baseball, which they're working really damn hard to achieve, they've only got a 16.5% chance of having the number one overall pick because of the lottery. And... We talked about them trading good guys out of town, letting them walk. Castellanos gone, Winker gone, Eugenio Suarez gone. Uh, poor Joey Votto's playing by himself out there, by himself, not with himself. That's a whole other problem. Um, 
with the new CBA, teams can not receive lottery picks in three straight seasons. So if they don't turn this thing around in 2025, the best pick they could have is seventh. So they, they picked the worst possible time to bottom out. And I mean, it's like they took the boat out on dry dock and, you know, took target practice with a shotgun at the hull and then tried to swim across the, you know, (laughs) Gulf of Mexico with the thing they're taking on water and the sharks are circling. So Cincinnati, I'm sorry. The milk's gone bad. It is a really terrible situation for them right now, and you don't know when it's ever going to end. They are on a historically bad pace. And again, with the draft lottery, you have no guarantee that they're going to sit at number one for a couple years and turn it around like the previously historically bad Houston Astros did when they were able to land guys like George Springer and Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa with their bottom out. So teams have been incented to not be this bad, and they are still tanking. Which, Paul, I guess my question for you is, did fans in the city of Cincinnati sell their souls for the Bengals to be good, and this is the payback? Yeah, uh, probably. Did they use all of their mojo on Joe Burrow, and now the Reds are paying for the sins of the football team for the last 30 years? Oh, my God. Uh, It's it's not outside of college sports. It's not a very successful team as far as championships, uh, uh, city or state as far as championships when it comes to um, their professional teams. I mean, uh, obviously LeBron. And a little I mean, hell, they could bring Boomer Esiason out of the bullpen at this point. Yeah, I mean, uh, you got the Blue Jackets. You got I- Icky the, Woods playing third base. Uh, Get some cold cuts. Get some cold cuts. Get some cold cuts, baby. Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess the question is, and um, so David Bell has been managing him here for uh, this is his fourth season. Not his fault. All right, but you know, seventy-five wins, seventy-five and eighty-seven in two thousand nineteen. Thirty-one wins in the, in the short season, thirty-one twenty-nine. Uh, Eighty-three wins last year, seventy-nine losses, and hey, off, over five hundred the last two years. Okay, well, I mean, with with a modest collection of talent. Okay, all right. So what I'm I'm trying to trying to narrow this down is like you know I got to put you back into the ownership of the GM, uh, uh, you know, seat here. Um, you know, you talk about the um, the division not being very strong. Um, you know, take the COVID year out or whatever the heck you want to say. And okay, 500 baseball and everything else. Uh, a horrible start here. All the bad stuffs going on. What do you do at this point? If we if we take the Diamondbacks last year, they really didn't. You know, there wasn't any major changes going on as far as you know. They just kind of let it ride. So I guess my question to you is. Um, are they going to just let it ride here in Cincinnati? What do you do as a professional baseball team at this time? Um, we're the first week of May. All right, do you, do you how much breathing room does an MLB team get? And and by the time you get to June or uh, July and, and pushing towards, you know, one of our favorite times of the year is the trade deadline and everything. I mean, what do these guys do? I mean, is there anything they can do? You know, I mean, because these are just some absolutely – Terrible, terrible baseball stats. I mean, oh, this I is, would this say, is... what do you, what, what does the owner and the GM do? They already did it when they let guys walk and they traded away good players like okay, Sonny but what Gray. Do you, what do you do with this team right now, which is just, uh, you know, on the field is just pathetic, and it's but this it's is not... what they, this is what David Bell's been given by the front office, and I don't know if the front office received this directive from ownership. They're not paying players. They've got a double-A roster playing at the major league level. 
and they're getting it handed to them. So you look. They at are, the, let's take the A's for example. You could look at their ownership right now, and they're looking to get they're looking to bail out of that city and go to Vegas. Let's say for argument's sake, or get a new stadium, and just you can kind of sit back and go, okay, I can see what the ownership's going on, and uh, with the athletics, maybe there's an agenda there, one way or the other. But what's the story here in Cincinnati? What is their end game for letting this organization become and one of the story storied franchises of Major League Baseball, the history, the big red machine, the championships, the the Hall of Fame players. What what is the end game here to to get your team into your organization to be this kind of an embarrassment on the field? Look, the Oakland A's are getting twenty five hundred fans a night. They're flirting with Las Vegas. They're in last place in the AL West. They've won ten out of twenty five, not three. Okay, and it's because the Oakland A's have approached the moves that they have made with an organizational philosophy that every few, this is, this is the life cycle in, in baseball. Now you, you, you get a crop of guys that are good. You go for it. If it doesn't work or the contracts come up, you hit the reset button and you take a step back. The Chicago Cubs are in the middle of doing something similar, right? The Oakland A's are doing it right now. The Cubs are nine and 15. They're not exactly lighting the world on fire. Okay. So what we've established is a culture that the new CBA is trying to limit, which is we understand that you're not going to be great all the time. And if you're not going to spend the money to compete, at least put a viable product on the field. And right now they're not putting a viable product on the field. And it goes back to the front office not having adequate major league players in-house to replace these guys. The difference between Oakland and Cincinnati is Oakland traded Greg Olson Matt Olson. Greg Olson's a tight end that the Bears gave up on too soon. That's my bet. Um, <laughs> I'm triggered. Lots of NFL draft talk in Chicago. Um, they traded Matt Olson to Atlanta. They got Christian Pache, gold gloves caliber center fielder, young guy, and he's starting to hit the ball, right? You make trades that are going to help you in the interim and the long term, or you trade guys with a young guy that's ready for a shot to come in and play the position. Last year, the Cubs traded Anthony Rizzo to the Yankees, and they brought Frank Schwindel in, fighting Frank Schwindels. And he was adequate, if not terrific, holding the fort down because at least the Cubs had a guy to step into that void. He hasn't been great this year, but they traded a lot of guys away, and they didn't have anything to put in their spot. They're not playing good defense. They're terrible offensively. Their pitching's getting torched. And it's because they have got guys like Hunter Green, whose stuff is exceptional, but it's not ready for the majors. They just Their organizational philosophy is broken. It's bankrupt. And what you're seeing right now is a manifestation of a team bottoming out and not having adequate resources on the field to compete at the major league level. And this is, I say relegation in soccer, and I'm absolutely serious. This team does not belong in major league baseball right now. They're not good enough. And I feel awful for Joey Votto for staying there and being part of this dumpster fire because I don't think it's going to be like Freddie Freeman get, or Anthony Rizzo getting through the lean years and finally getting a ring on the backside. He's too old. This is a point in his career where it's if it's taking if they're three or four years out, it ain't happening for Votto. So, what do you so, and you know what his his value to a team that would acquire him is down because the numbers aren't there. So. The reality is that the front office has failed to develop talent to replenish a major league roster 
they decided to sell out and go and, and move on to the future. And you have a team that is not good enough to play Major League Baseball going out there every night getting their ass kicked. And I don't know how it gets better. Look, I don't think that they're only going to win three out of every 25 the entire season. I can't imagine a team keeping a 120 win percentage for 162. But this is a team that is going to remain historically bad because, it, and look, the Pittsburgh Pirates are 10 and 14. Who? They're, they're the still Pittsburgh in the league? The Pirates are seven and a half games in front of Cincinnati right now. So let's. The Pirates at least have been bad, but they've developed young time. guys. And I'm here to they've tell got you. Cabrian Hayes. They're going to have O'Neill Cruz soon. They've got young guys coming. They've made trades that have started to benefit them at the major league level. They're starting to slowly get the turn here. And this is just going to be a really, really, really ugly season in Cincinnati. And I don't know how that ship is going to be any better than 100 losses. Sounds, like be, it sounds like it's going to be more than one season here, pal. I mean, that's, and I guess that's, I hear you explain it to me. I get it. I, I see it like, I'm just trying to get at, you know, it's just, just basically they've just made horrible, horrible, bad baseball decisions here. And this is just how it is. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to look at like other franchises, other teams, whether it's other ownerships, whether it's agendas, whether it's because maybe certain, you know, Ohio's more of a football state. And then maybe so the, the Reds can get away with just kind of stinking here. Maybe the same way the Pirates have skated this way. Not to use a hockey situation uh, analogy there situation, um, but it's a, another Pennsylvania is a big, you know, football and, and hockey town. I don't know. I was just trying to get at like I, I don't understand it when you're um, you're playing in, in in Major League Baseball, and I, I guess we see this. And I think I brought this up, and I think we have talked about this too. There's 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 quite a lot of mediocrity. In not only Major League Baseball, but also as far as the National Football League, that kind of kind of gets accepted tab, and you have the same pretty much the same cities, the same franchises, kind of run the gambit and take the headlines and and. Punch. But Paul, we Paul, we, we've been conditioned to accept the life cycle of winning. Okay, yeah, that for the last that, twenty yeah. years, we've been conditioned that you'll get a group of guys, you'll, they'll run it, that, that group will run its course, and then you're going to have a couple lean years and you turn it around. And every now and then you get a, a Milwaukee Bucks wins the championship, you know, like an right, NBA or right, something like that. Yeah. Right, but, I mean, look, the Cubs had to flip the script from the World Series, okay? But here's the problem that Cincinnati has. Their farm system is not that good. Milwaukee has this great mojo going right now where they're drafting and developing incredibly well. Doesn't look like they're going anywhere. Even if the Mets poach David Stearns at the end of the year, they've got really good organizational depth. The Cardinals never seem to go anywhere. They've got a minor leaguer named Nolan Gorman who is going to come up and play second base. He's got, I think, 11 home runs in double A already. He's murdering the ball. They've got Goldschmidt and Arenado. They've got young pitching. Jack Flaherty isn't even doing anything for him right now, and they're in second place. Pittsburgh has a really good young crop coming. They've already got Cabrian Hayes at the major league level. Okay, so Pittsburgh is further along their rebuild than Cincinnati. The Cubs made some really good baseball trades last year, and a lot of these young guys are starting to show their worst. Pete Crow Armstrong, who they got from the Mets for Javier Baez, looks terrific. He was always going to be a gold-glove caliber center fielder, but he's showing that leadoff man stuff right now. So the Cubs accelerated their rebuild with some mm -hmm. of the trades. I don't know that we can say that the Reds accelerated their rebuild with – 
any of the stuff that they did. They got they got some nice pieces from Seattle and Minnesota with the Winker Suarez deal with the Mariners and Sonny Gray going to Minnesota, but you're still looking at a system that is massively devoid of talent. And with the draft lottery now, where you've got a three-year lottery and then the best you can do is seventh, you can't bottom out and take three to three to five drafts to get it right. You got you you got to they the new CBA is designed to shorten the the tank cycle and make it more of a two to four year proposition than a five to six year proposition. And I don't know how with the Cubs and Pirates being further along and having more advanced players in their rebuilding scenarios than Cincinnati and Milwaukee and St. Louis already being there. I don't know where in the next couple of years things are really going to get marketably better for the Reds unless ownership, which didn't want to pay anybody this year, flips the script and says to hell with it. We're going to go spend a boatload of money. And you know what? They tried that. They brought in Trevor Bauer. They brought in Nick Castellanos and it didn't work. Trevor Bauer won a Cy Young Award. I mean, they had really good players, and it didn't work, and then they burned it down. What did they get for burning it down? Three and 22. Yeah. And I, I guess, I mean, we could probably go And no end on. in sight. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm sure we could spend more time on this. And, you know, I, I'd have questions about, you know, their financial – you know, backing the ownership, uh, how the they sell out, man. This is they're not well, open. Okay, the, yeah. the, there are butts and seats for them. Mm-hmm. There's really with the profit sharing, the revenue sharing, and the way that fans show up at a beautiful Great American Ballpark, the Great American Small Park. Um, <laughs> there's really no good reason for them to not spend some money. And look, you're right. I don't think anybody thought it would be this bad. But when you watch them play, they are not a major league team. This is a triple a roster with Joey Votto at first base and they are receiving results in line with the roster that David Bell has been given. And if my question is, does David Bell just quit and say, F it, I'm out. Cause if I were him two straight seasons over 500 and then you, you're handed this mess, I'd be like, thanks, but I'm out. I'm not going to be a glorified babysitter for a train wreck. See ya. And then, yeah, where, where and why is, you know, does this, this bringing somebody else in really change anything? You know, where's his contract at? Look, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, me being 52 and, you know, the old days of baseball growing up with um, the Cincinnati Reds and the great teams uh, that came up. Um, and it's always been just one of those franchises when you see the C and you see the red and the white, um, you know, you, you think of just a great team, a great franchise. And again, you like think I mentioned, of the big red machine. You yeah, exactly. The Jose all the Rio team that upset the red or the yeah. A's. I mean, Johnny you Bench is one don't... of my all time favorite players. Joe Morgan. I mean, it just goes on. Davey Concepcion, Tony yeah. Perez, just, they were a dynasty and now they are this. And, but you, you just, know what, Tab? It happens. Uh, a perfect example now that you know, hearing hearing you run off the names and again, folks, me and Tab are big hockey guys. You take the uh, the New York Islanders here too. I, mean, I was they, just going to say that. Yeah, the dynasty teams uh, who were just amazing here on Long Island, and you know, res- respected by me, even being a, a New York Rangers fan. Four um, consecutive Stanley Cups, and they could have won six. The Rangers knocked them out in '79. They were supposed to win that year, and then um, they went. To they the ran five into straight. the Gretzky. 
Yeah. Um, so when you think about what they did, and then it just it just fell apart here on Long Island, and it took thirty some odd years plus uh, to get it back to respectability right now. Um, and you hate to see it, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is we we sit here and go, I can't believe this is happening to this organization, to this team. But you know what? It has happened in sports. I'm sure there's a few other teams and uh, um, organizations and sports that we're forgetting about right now. Uh, and like I said, you could. Like you Detroit could, Lions, man. They are, they are well, the Detroit I mean, Lions. Teams that never win. I mean, let's, let's not go there. They are the Detroit Lions. They get in the playoffs every once in a while, but uh, it's the, usually. The, the, the Reds have won a championship. Come on. Detroit Touché. hasn't won nothing. Nothing, baby. No, but Matthew Stafford said he'll still love his old phone. And that's a gorgeous, gorgeous stadium there, too. Yep. Wow. Unbelievable. All right. You want to leave it there, pal? Send mm-hmm. our regards to the uh, Cincinnati Reds fan base. Send flowers to the wake because it's got five months left. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get your pens and pads out. If you're struggling with your fantasy baseball team these past couple of weeks, as always, Mr. Ted Bamford has a gem for you to add in and go out and get. It's time for LDR's Fantasy Ad of the Week. Take it away, Mr. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, again, uh, we'll give out the uh, Venmos and whatever for you to send us our share of the earnings at the end of the year. Um, This week, uh, Line Drive Radio's Fantasy Ad of the Week, we're going to the desert in Arizona where Dan Bellino's hopefully keeping his mouth shut. Uh, and we're looking at uh, a gentleman who has multiple position uh, availability, which is big. Being eligible to play a couple positions is a big deal. Paven Smith, who's eligible to play first base and outfield, uh, in the last two weeks, he's 12 for 39, three doubles, three homers, 10 runs batted in. He is hit safely in six of his last eight games. He hits Colorado this weekend, and then he gets Miami, the second place Marlins, uh, to start next week, he is only owned in five zero five percent of Yahoo Fantasy League. So if you're dealing with injuries, if you're looking for some depth that can give you some flexibility at multiple spots, give Paven Smith of the Arizona Diamondbacks a look. If you are in one of the ninety five percent of Yahoo leagues, ninety five percent. Also, just about what the Reds are losing at right now. Um, <laughs> If you're in one of the 95% of Yahoo leagues that do not own Paven Smith, give him a look. Absolutely. And if not for anything, he's got a great baseball name, which I love. Always. Oh, that, I mean, Are you kidding either, me? the, either that or he's fixing driveways. One of the two. <laughs> he's Paven. <laughs> I got to set up the snare drum in the studio here, folks. Tab's just rolling them off. He's rolling them off. Good stuff. And again, don't forget. You get the PayPal accounts at Line Drive Radio. Follow us everywhere there. And if you have any success this year, um, all funds in any any form, but primarily USD, uh, we'll take it here and we'll put it towards the cost. So uh, good stuff there as always. All right, pal. Another LDR is in the books as this. I tell you, the game is great. The good, the bad. The good outweighs the bad. Uh, if your team is winning or losing, you know, that's what we're all here for. But the weather is starting to turn. We got a nice day here yesterday, Tab. I finally got out on the new bike. And I, I burned some calories yesterday, which was great. There you go. So, um, and the kids weren't freezing their butts off out in the outfield last night either, which was nice. So, um, just hang in there, man. 
Root those teams on. It's still early enough in the season. Maybe the Reds can turn around. I don't think so. Uh, but we'll see what happens. But anyway, before we uh, close the concession stands, turn off the lights, lock the gates, and turn the sprinklers on the infield, it's time to say goodbye. As always, follow us everywhere at Laundry Radio. And Tab, please, say goodbye to the folks. Usually I tell you to grab a glove and go play catch with a kid, go watch a game. This week, uh, make sure you get to Hallmark. Make sure you get the cards and the flowers bought. Make sure you take care of the mom in your life because Mother's Day is Sunday. Uh, and try to avoid much baseball on Mom's Day. <laughs> yes. Unless you're my kid playing a doubleheader on Sunday morning. <laughs> Hello, doghouse. Oh, man. To all the baseball moms, to all the moms everywhere, very special. Happy Mother's Day. Well said, Mr. Bamford. All right, folks. Line Drive Radio is out. Until next time, keep on playing ball. Have a great weekend, everybody. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.